Today, I'm talking with 80-year-old veteran nomad and book author Rita Golden-Gelman about the 30 years she spent traveling without any permanent address. You're going to love her adventurous spirit, fascinating stories, and deep travel wisdom. So stay tuned for this episode of The Globetrotter Lounge. You're listening to The Globetrotter Lounge Podcast. Conversations with women travelers who have found creative ways to travel more for less. With your host, travel hacker and online course creator, Jet Set Lizette. Hey everyone, this is Jet Set Lizette, and before I push play on this episode of the Globetrotter Lounge podcast, I'd like to invite you to download my Globetrotter Roadmap to Free Travel. It breaks down the steps I've taken to rack up and consistently maintain over a million airline miles and hotel points over the last five years. So far, I've saved almost $90,000 in travel costs, and so can you. You can get it for free at RoadmapToFreeTravel.com. And if you want even more guidance, my online course, Jet Set 101, Becoming a Travel Hacker, teaches you everything you need to know to leverage the incredible travel credit card sign-up bonuses that are out there and start traveling for practically free. Along with video course modules, you also get the tools and resources that I use to successfully travel hack without going into debt or damaging my credit score. And it includes access to me through monthly coaching calls. You can get more information at jetset101course.com. Hello and welcome to the Globetrotter Lounge. I am incredibly excited because today I have a wonderful guest named Rita Golden-Gelman, and she is an extraordinary woman who is now 80 years old, has spent countless years, over 30 years, I believe, traveling the world, living as a nomad, as she herself has termed herself, and she has in fact written two books about her experiences. One is called Tales of a Female Nomad, the other is Female Nomad and Friends. And that one's by a lot of people, not just by me. Okay. That's an anthology. Okay, great. So she's written and collected stories from other female nomads, um, but she's been doing this a long time, well before the age of the current kind of digital nomad trend. She's been a nomad working abroad for decades. So I'm excited to have her here to share with us um, some of what she's learned and about why she ended up doing what she's been doing. And uh, welcome, Rita. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have Hope, you. Hopefully to encourage a lot of people out there to take off and experience the world. It's been a great life. That's fantastic. I'm so excited to dig in and talk about your experiences. And let's start off with kind of, you know, back when you were a kid. I'd love to hear, before we get into all that you've been doing, what was your um, childhood and upbringing like that kind of led you to be open to this, that you feel might have led you to be open to living a nomadic life later? I'm going to start with teens. I don't need to go sure. into kindergarten and first grade. Um, my father was a pharmacist and he had a drugstore. And my teen job was to work the soda fountain in the store. And it was in a, an immigrant neighborhood. And I would be making sundaes and ice cream sodas and milkshakes for a lot of immigrants. And once I had their sundae and the whipped cream squirted around, I would talk to them as they were eating. 
And the more I talked, the more intrigued I became with the world out there. And it planted itself in my head that there was a lot more to life than what I was seeing in my little, little, what, protected world. And I wanted to get out there and see it. So as a teenager, I knew that I wanted to see the world. And where were you living at the time? Connecticut. Okay. As soon as I graduated from high school, oh, I, I went off to college, Brandeis, in, in Massachusetts, which was a, a left-wing school where we sang folk songs and, and mm-hmm. spouted left-wing philosophy and politics. And it worked for me. And as soon as I graduated from college, I went to Greenwich Village, which was in the 60s when feminism and... Um, anti-racism and Mm. all kinds of things were popping up um it was a it was a fabulous time to be in greenwich village i bet okay so you were really um in a time in a place where things were opening up there was a lot of new ideas being generated etc yeah and it was all within a couple of blocks of my house wow amazing (laughs) amazing So, okay, so so that probably contributed to who you are. Absolutely. Yes. And then what happened next? You got married, I think, you know, you were... I got married. I grew up, two children in in Greenwich Village. They went to school there. Mm -hmm. And again, it it was a pretty left community at the time. And uh, I liked it. I was a good fit. And then the kids went to school there, and I was very active in their school. And um, I was married to somebody who was a journalist, um, an editor, a book writer as well. And I was starting to write children's books. And that, that experience of knowing that there was a world out there that I wanted to experience never left me. It was always in my head. It was always in my arms and my heart and my soul. And my husband wasn't at all interested in traveling. Mm, mm, Okay. When my kids finished high school and college, Mm -hmm. I was still relatively young, from from my point of view these days anyway. (laughs) Um, And I decided I wanted to to do some traveling, and my ex didn't want to do any traveling, Mm -hmm. or my husband at the time. And so I went to Mexico, and I figured we, just just for a short period of time, just to see something else of the world. And he wasn't interested in going, and I came back, and he had decided it was time to end the marriage. Mm. And I I thought we were going to work on it, but we didn't. And so... I was scared out of my mind, but I decided I was just going to sell everything I owned and live the life I dreamed of. Hmm. And I had, by the time I I left this country, I started out in Mexico. By the time I left, I got rid of all my um, possessions. And, you know, once I knew I was divorcing, I wanted nothing. I wanted to be able to carry everything I owned, and I did. And that wasn't much. (laughs) And I took off, and I got to Mexico. I was scared out of my mind. 
I had never done anything alone in my life. I had never even had dinner in a restaurant by myself. Wow. And at a certain point, I learned how to go up to total strangers and say, are you eating alone? Would you like company? Or do you want to be alone? Mm -hmm. And I met all kinds of people. So, so you, basically for you, it was like your life was going along. You were married, you'd had kids, you'd raised your kids. You and your husband were having difficulties. You had a different path. And I love in your book, which I'm really excited. Uh, thank you so much for giving me a copy. Again, it's called Tales of a Female Nomad, and it's a New York Times bestseller book that came out in what year again? 2001. 2001. And it opens, it says, 1985, I am living someone else's life. Yeah. I was a mother. I was a wife. I was active in the school. And none of this was who I was. And at a certain point, we were out of New York and in Los Angeles, and I was living a very upscale life. Hmm. We were, uh, because of my husband's career as a journalist, um, we were going to parties with, with movie stars and having them at our house and going out to dinner with people much of the world would have died to be with. And it wasn't who I was. It wasn't who I wanted to be with. I wanted to be with people in other countries who were living another ethic. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't a part of the ethics that my life was... Uh, like what you felt like your life should be about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you really came to this point where you just said, I'm done. I'd like to just sell everything. I I'm going to just take off. And I know you said you had a background in anthropology, too. You right. I, I had people. gone to UCLA for anthropology. Right. Right. I was going to do... I had done all the classwork for a PhD. Mm. And as soon as the divorce was in the works... Yep. I thought, I don't need a PhD. You know, I'm doing this PhD so that I can get away. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to get away by myself. And and I did. I got rid of everything I owned when we divorced. And I wanted no furniture. I wanted no, not even a towel. <laughs> you know, I just took off. We divided everything up. And I took off for the world. And first stop, as I said, was to go back to Mexico. Yeah. And um, I continued on, but by then I had had some experience and I wasn't scared anymore. Right, right. So let's talk about that. So I know, you know, this podcast, I'm talking a lot about how people have found creative ways to travel more for less. And I know that women specifically, I know that um, there's always a range of how much travel people are going to do, right? Some people are just going to want to travel once a year. Some people are going to want to travel maybe a month at a time or two months at a time. And some people might even take a year off. And then there's people like you who are I'm saying, an extremist. <laughs> who are saying, I'm out of here for quite a long time. I'm right. not even sure if I'm coming back. And I think you've told me you actually didn't have a residence for how long? I had no home for 30 years. 30 years. So clearly on the, on the spectrum, you're on the far, the, the far end of Absolutely. the travel experience. But I think everything but, you've experienced is still relevant to whether someone wants to travel a little or a lot. Because first of all, I'm hearing a sense of risk and like just going for it. 
That's the first step. Absolutely. My message would be do it. Yeah. And and number one rule is smile. <laughs> you know, if if you smile at everybody, they smile back. <laughs> yeah. I I have a thing with my daughter. I, I I told her someday I'm going to be walking down the street and somebody is going to be coming in the opposite direction with his hand on a gun in his pocket. And I'm gonna and he's gonna get within 10 yards of me, and I'm going to smile and say hi, and he's going to go on and kill the next person. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of attitude. Like, you know, so many women, I think, too, are afraid of, like, what's going to happen if I go out there? And that's why I'm so intrigued by your story. And I guess I want to ask, because, you know, the safety piece, right? But you've created, you created for yourself a very open life. And can you tell me a little bit about, I mean, open meaning open to meeting people, open to experiences. Can you tell me where you ended up, just briefly, some of the places you've ended up living or staying uh, over the last, wow, 30 years? Right. Very early on, I knew I wanted to live with the people. Mm. The The thing that makes an anthropologist um, is observing and participating. Yeah. The anthropologist is a participant observer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the least bit interested in teaching another people, other people how to have religion or, or live the way I knew or anything like that. I wanted to know how they lived, mm-hmm. and I wanted to experience it. Mm-hmm. The couple of times I tried to teach people something about my food, I remember I was living in Bali, and I made French toast. And they, they dutifully ate a bite or two of it, and that was the end of their... <laughs> they wanted their own food, and, right. and I knew... That yeah. that wasn't the direction I wanted to go in. Um, a lot of people want to learn English or want to talk English with yeah. me. I'm, if they ask, I'll do it. Otherwise, I won't. Mm-hmm. I'll try to learn their language. And I ask kids to tell me. It, you know, if I'm living in their home, um, I point to a tree and they say, Pohon. I, t- I point to a, a something else and they give me the word and they love teaching me. Yeah. And yeah. I loved learning that language from kids. And kids are in, an important way that I get into homes. Okay. And I stay for sometimes months, sometimes years. Wow. Um, you know, it's not that I want two nights in, in somebody's sure. house. Um, yeah. If I, I come into a village, mm-hmm. I get off a bus in where I don't, I, and I don't have a list of places that I want to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just go and I get off a bus that looks interesting. And I talk to a waitress and I talk to the head of the village and I talk to people I meet on the street. But I smile all the time and they smile back and then they want to know who I am and why I'm smiling. And even if I don't know the language, mm-hmm. um, I use my hands, I use my body to say I'm looking for a place to sleep, and uh, they find it. And one of my tricks that I've learned over the years that I'll share with your your listeners is that I connect with kids. Mm. I travel with bubbles, mm-hmm. and I've learned at, at a clown camp in Minnesota, actually, how to make balloon animals. Mm. But you can do it on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I... You know, you you need two legs, two ears, and a tail, and a nose, and it's like three, six, nine twists. And you've got, if, if you make the, the neck long, you've got a giraffe. 
if you make the body long, you've got a dachshund. And it's, and people love you. Yeah. You know, and, and if I've got a bunch of kids, I'm blowing bubbles, they're screaming and squealing. Their parents want to know what's making them scream and squeal. And then I'm, I've, with their parents, and I want to live in their houses, and I tell them that that's what I want to do. And somehow, that's, that's how, how I do it. it. So where where have the, this this sort of, you said you didn't always plan where you were going, where have, has your sort of free, open adventure led you? What are some of the countries you ended up um, visiting, staying in, living in, living with families? Where well, first did... I went south. Okay. My initial country was was mexico okay and i was scared out of my mind and and uh, i and staying in a hotel that this was the first time around mm-hmm. um and i asked the cashier at the hotel or the one who was checking people in uh where i could go where i wouldn't be afraid to s- eat alone yeah and she said wait over there and what i know she did be- and i didn't know that at the time is she kept she had a long line of people who were checking in and at some point there were two guys who were you know in their 50s probably um who were checking in and she said would you like to have dinner with this nice woman i just met and sure enough i did i won't go into what else i did that night but i <laughs> it was my one of the first nights that i was away yeah and i had company yeah. Um, other places, I walked up to somebody in Guatemala. I had been speaking Spanish. I had learned Spanish in school. Mm-hmm. And I walked up to somebody who was sitting at a table by himself. Mm-hmm. And I said, are you alone because you want to be alone or would you like company? Mm-hmm. And he looked up, he smiled, and he said, please sit down. Mm-hmm. And it turned out he was from UNESCO. Mm-hmm. And when we finished talking, I said, I want to be in a non-Spanish speaking country. Where would you suggest I go? Huh. Because I had at that point been to Nicaragua and Guatemala and the Galapagos Island. He looked at me and he said, I think you should go to Indonesia. It's an easy language to learn hmm. and good people. And that's what I did. Wow. Um, I tend to follow through on anybody's suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. And so, my experience when I went to Indonesia, I bought a ticket, you know, and he said, go to Jakarta. So I started there. Mm-hmm. He said, learn some languages, some of the language, and I did. And then I went to Bali. Hmm. And uh, I spent eight years in Bali. Wow. And learn, and I did learn the language. And for anybody out there who wants to know an easy language to learn, there's no grammar. In, in the language of Indonesia, um, the word anak is a child. More than one child is anak-anak. Wow. That's the plural. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. And um, the word for eat is makan, M-A-K-A-N. Mm-hmm. And the past tense is yesterday makan. And the future tense is tomorrow makan. So you don't have to learn grammar. You just have to learn how they do it and now there is a language that the Balinese speak that I spent so many years living there mm-hmm. uh, that separates people by the language mm. I didn't learn Balinese I learned Indonesian okay 
So you so you spent eight years in Bali. At and, least. Or, and yes. what's amazing about that is right now I know there's well, it's probably very different then. I don't know what years you were there, but but now it is a very popular place for the so-called digital nomad. There's a lot of people I hear from all over the world living there because it's inexpensive, because the people are friendly, because it's lovely, and you can work from there. And what's interesting is you did that. And and you did it so many years ago, and I'm sure it's very different <laughs> I now. Did. Um, but what were you doing? Speaking of people like digital nomads, how were you? How are you funding your travels? You know, I write and had written before I started out while okay. I was still married. Children's books, and I didn't have to think very hard. <laughs> they're not deeply intellectual; they're just fun. Yeah, and I could write children's books as I traveled. Um, Perfect. And getting to go back for a second, sure, to how I got into places. Yeah. Um, I I was on an airplane mm-hmm. talking to a guy who was a doctor who lived in Bali, and he spoke English. And I said, "Where can I go and stay in Bali?" And we had been talking for a long period of time. He said. Uh, I said, all the guidebooks say you should go to Ubud, U-B-U-D. And I said, should I go to Ubud? Oh, no, he said. Go go someplace. You're, you're, you're not a tourist. Mm-hmm. Go someplace where you can get into the culture. Mm. And he wrote down on a piece of paper, I said, what is this? He said, it's a friend of mine. Hand this to a cab driver. <laughs> And I got off the plane, I walked out, and I handed it to a cab driver. I do. I spend a lot of time trusting people. Yeah. I handed it to a cab driver. An hour and a half later, we pulled into a, a little village, and he asked a couple of directions, and all of a sudden, he said, we're here, in Indonesian, which I didn't speak at the time. Um, I walked in. And there was an old lady who was topless, sweeping flower petals from grass. Mm. And it was a nice-looking place. And I handed the piece of paper to her, and she smiled, and she ran off and got two young women, and they sat down, they sat me down. They didn't sit. They sat me down mm-hmm. and um, put a coffee cup in front of me with coffee in it and one across from me. And then a, another woman came and sat by the other coffee cup, and we said hello, and I had enough words that I could um, say that Dr. Jalantik had told me to come here. Mm-hmm. And she said um, my name, oh, she said in, in Indonesian, and I had enough. She pointed to the old woman, she said my mother. Mm. And she pointed to... Um, her the piece of paper, and she said, "My husband." Mm. And she pointed to herself, and she said, "I am Tubiang." Mm. And I smiled, and I said, "I am Rita." And we sipped our coffees, and about five ten minutes later, a man came over, and he looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, "May I help you in English?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yes." Um, my name is Rita. I met Dr. Jalantik on the airplane, and he told me to come here. And the man looked at me with a big smile, and he said, let me show you your room. Wow. It was a royal compound, and I lived there for eight years. 
My goodness. <laughs> so you truly have just trusted and gone with the flow of what happens around you to lead you both to countries, exactly. but also to where you might land once you get to the country. Exactly. And um, yeah, I find that very fascinating in a time where I think, well, especially a lot of us, well, there's a lot of, you know, what ifs and, and if I, you know, what if I can't find a place to stay or what if it's not safe or what if I don't have enough money? And it sounds like you just kind of said at that break, at that breaking point with your husband and everything, you just said, I'm going to trust. Absolutely. Trust is, is a very important part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it just works for me. Where's that cup that I had? Oh, right. Yes, we'll get that. Uh, uh, okay, we'll, I have a, I have a Seattle, uh, not Seattle, a Starbucks cup that says, risk-taking, trust, and serendipity are key ingredients of joy. Without risk, nothing new ever happens. Without trust, fear creeps in. Without serendipity, there are no surprises. Um, and I live that way. I take risks, I trust, and I do things I have no idea about what's going to happen. And I have not been disappointed. It's amazing. Such a philosophy to live by. And I think, you know, for me, as someone who loves to travel, I... Um, I've often done that where I just say, you know what? I'm just going to go and see what happens. Yes. At the same time, I'm a planner and an organizer. And that can also, that can sometimes help, but sometimes it gets in the way of having a truly open experience. I have zero organizational abilities, (laughs) which I'm suffering from right now because I'm trying to put all my papers together Mm. at the age of 80 and I can't find anything. Um, including at this very moment I'm trying to do my taxes and I can't find (laughs) any receipts for anything. Um, But I do trust and I don't make plans. And often, um, can I share my Servos experience? Absolutely, yes. This is what I wanted to know is how you were, you know, yes, you had the the airplane experience, you know, but it sounds like you also do have some suggestions for people if they want to embark on a pretty big adventure of meeting and living with families. I do. I'd love to hear about that. There's an organization called Servas, S-E-R-V-A-S. And it's an organization with 15,000 people who belong around the world. It costs a little bit of money to join. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of these 15,000 people are members because they want you to come visit them. Wow. It's a two-night stay. Okay. You cannot go for one night because it's not enough time to get to know somebody. Okay. And my experience is that often, after two nights, they will say, oh, why don't you stay a little longer? So I only make the first reservation. I don't make the next one because that'll fall apart if they tell me I could ah, stay longer. Right. So again, it's, it's a logical thing that everybody would do, but I don't. I come into a place, I'll make a reservation, maybe for the first night, mm-hmm. and they'll help me make the next reservation or down the line, and I don't have to know where I'm going to be night three and four. And sometimes they'll want me to stay, and sometimes they won't. Um, I don't have a home, so I can't be at the other end of inviting people to come to my home. But anyone who joins Serve Us has that Okay, so it's kind option. of a give and take. Or- exactly, mm-hmm. but you don't have to have guests in okay. your house if you don't have a house. 
Um, and the people I'm staying with those first two nights mm-hmm. often will help me find a place to go the next nights. That makes sense. Yeah. The way to connect and, and get in, into a community or meet people. And then once you've meet, met some people, right, it's going to naturally open the door to And other they feed you yeah. and they show you around their village or wherever they live. Okay. And you pay nothing. Wow. It costs absolutely nothing to sleep in their house. And frequently you'll get invited to stay a little longer, but not all the time. And it works. And can I give a... A website? Yeah, and actually I'll include the website in the okay. um, post, but the website here, it looks like it's um, usservas.org. So U-S-S-E-R-V-A-S.org. And does it cost to join this organization? It does cost money, and I'm not sure how much okay. these days. Sure. But it costs money, but you never pay to stay in anyone's house, and you never pay for meal. Mm-hmm. Um, I will sometimes take people out to lunch. Sure. If I'm staying with them or, or I'll, but I don't bring fancy gifts. I might bring a book. Mm-hmm. If they have kids, I might give them a kid's book. Sure. But it's not, a, they're not expecting you yeah. to hand them gifts or money. Okay. They're there because they want to meet you. So what are some of the places that you've gone, uh, even just one or two, if you want to mention, um, with service or, you know, using this network of people? Do you remember I can't even remember. The first, I discovered service when I stayed at somebody's house in Israel. Okay. And they introduced me to the organization. Okay. And then I came back, I checked, I visited their offices in Northern California and um, and I got to know Servas. Okay. In fact, I have a book, which is an anthology, Female Nomad and Friends. It has 41 different authors. And I have the first story in the book. And it's called, wait, My Favorite Organization Ever. Okay. And it's about Servas. It's about Servas. Yes. Okay, wonderful. And the name of that book is Female Nomad and Friends. Tales of Breaking Free and Breaking Bread Around the World. And you were mentioning to me that um, proceeds, if people buy this book, what happens? Well, I got to the end, and a random house wanted to publish it as they had published my first book. Mm -hmm. And I thought, 41 different authors, how the do I (laughs) divide all the money that this book is going to earn by 41 every time I... Sure. And so I decided that I would write to all the authors, and I said, are you willing to give all the profits from this book to kids who live in a slum in New Delhi, in India? Hmm. And they all said yes. Fantastic. And I did it through Rotary. Okay. And Rotary has sent a whole bunch of these slum kids to school. Wonderful. You know, they, none of them were going to college. And now a whole bunch, and I'm in touch with a number of them. Wonderful. And, and it's, you know, most of them, interestingly, have not left the slum. There are kids that in, well, adults at this point who were married with children um, who went on to college and they're working, a lot of them for international companies mm-hmm. because they're slum kids and the Indian culture doesn't award Mm-hmm. gifts to slum kids right it's it's a still a class still, society yeah, that's right. mm-hmm. and 
um, all of the money has sent these kids to school. My daughter and her husband went to uh, India a few years back, and I gave them the name of a couple of the kids who have gone on and gotten scholarships, and they met them. It was their favorite oh, time in, in India. How wonderful. And the, I still am in touch with a number of, of these people, and they're they're fabulous. What it's a great, great way to give back. I mean, and, and I really, you know, for people listening in, again, that name of that book is Female Nomad and Friends, Tales of Breaking Free and Breaking Bread Around the World. And so, you know, you can purchase this book, learn a lot from a number of female nomads, and also be giving back to, uh, you know, the world, helping kids Ex in Delhi. Exactly. I do it through Rotary, by the way. Okay, great. So, so, so that... Um, what was I going to say? Oh, the whole idea, though, that you um, have lived this life, you're sharing your stories, you're telling us about, you know, Servas, for example, as, as one way to connect with people. Would you like to talk about sort of, you, you remember you gave me a business card and you talked about <laughs> your philosophy. Some of it's printed right on the back of the business card. Can you talk about I'll, those? I'll read the back of my business card and then I'll go talk about some of the things. Okay. Um, number one. And it's probably the most important thing in, in traveling around the world. Smile a lot. Um, people smile back. <laughs> and the great thing is that you live in a world of smiles. And if, you're, if somebody is smiling at you, you, you say hi. Um, number two is talk to strangers. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's mime or, or, you know, with your fingers or whatever. Um, accept all invitations. People are constantly beckoning to you to come and have coffee on their porch. Do it. <laughs> you don't know them. You're in a town you've never seen before, and you've only been there for 10 minutes, and somebody's beckoning to you to sit in, in a chair on their little front porch. Do it. Um, eat everything you're offered. Now, that's <laughs> a lot of people aren't going to do it, but if you're being offered food, it's they're they're extending themselves. They're offering you love, and if you can bring yourself to eat whatever it is they're eating, I highly recommend doing it. I have eaten all kinds of bugs and leaves, and, and <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, what was the strangest thing you you or you know for you like strange for you, not for them? Strangest thing that you ate? I don't know cockroaches and things <laughs> like that. Um, I'll yeah. eat whatever they give me. Yeah. There was one where they were chewing on wriggling worms, mm. and happily they finished them before I got to them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. that, that didn't appeal to me. <laughs> so cross a lot of borders. That's another thing on the back of my card. Laugh, sing, learn, and go with the flow. Laughing always works. Singing is good. And I have a story in the book where I am traveling in Irian Jaya, which is the island of New Guinea. Mm. And I'm traveling with three people I just met, two from Austria and one from Namibia. And we're four women. Mm -hmm. And we're traveling with a guide. And the guide has a chef. And the chef has somebody carrying the bag. And off we go into the mountains. Mm -hmm. And there are truly tribal people who are living in these hills. They still hunt with bows and arrows. 
many of the men that you'll meet along the way are wearing nothing but penis gourds. Wow, yeah. And uh, off we went and, you know, with the guide. And it was an amazing experience. And the first night, we there was a house that had been built by missionaries that we stayed in. But when we finished our meal, we had a chef with us. When we finished our meal, our guide said, there are 10 men outside waiting for you. Go with them. Hmm. We had no idea where we were going. Hmm. It fits my philosophy. (laughs) Trust everybody. And off we went. We followed these men into a little hut, and they sat across from us, and we stared at each other. And at that point, I had been living in Bali for a long time, and Irian Jaya is a part of Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if the people, the tribes people, spoke Indonesian because they had their own language, but I knew that the head of the village did, and he was there. And so I, after we stared at each other for about 15 minutes, nobody saying anything, I started to speak Indonesian. And the head of the village and some of the people understood And I said, I want to thank you for your beautiful mountains and for the land and for how kind you are to give us a house and to let us stay here and to um, introduce yourselves. Um, And then I turned to the women. And again, two from Austria, one from Namibia. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you know any English songs? And they did. And I And we talked a little bit, and I turned to the men, and I said, so I want to thank you for your mountains and for your animals that we've seen, and now we will sing to you. And they weren't singing to us. Uh I I initiated the idea. And we sang, you are my sunshine, home on the range, and oh, what a beautiful morning. And we finished our three songs, and these are not all English speakers. We finished those three songs, and I said, now it is your turn. And I spoke in, in Indonesian. And they, I didn't know they would even understand the words turn. Yeah. And they huddled together and they spread out and they began to sing. Wow. And they began to sing and their song was something like, <laughs> and tears are streaming down my face. It was so beautiful. Wow. And then they stopped after a little bit. And they said, now it is your turn. Oh, well. (laughs) And we came up with, Old MacDonald had a farm. (laughs) And we are two groups of people from opposite ends of of life on earth. Yep. You know, sophisticated, language-speaking travelers from Europe and the United States. And they are, again wearing penis gourds and singing these songs and still hunting with bows and arrows. And we sang this, Old MacDonald had a farm, and they wanted to learn it. <laughs> Wonderful. And we, we taught each other. Yeah. And we sang together. Yeah. And they had tears in their eyes as we were singing oink, oink. <laughs> their pigs don't do oink. Their pigs do something else. And right. we were <laughs> right. communicating how ducks quack and, and all of that. And it was absolutely fantastic. Wow. And they were crying and we were crying. And by the time we left, we were the best friends. Of course. And we were, again, 
there could not have been two more opposite mm-hmm. groups right. facing each other, and it was gorgeous. And, and that's what my life is like. It sounds like your life is about connection. It is. That's the word. Mm-hmm. Connecting is what I'm all about. Yeah. So travel as connection. Yeah. I mean, you've traveled, I'm assuming, because you wanted to be out and, you know, you could say, oh, she just didn't want to have one place. She wants to be all these places. But what I'm hearing is you wanted to connect with many people and many cultures. And I want to, usually I want to stay a while. Right. To connect. You know, I come into a village and I'm blowing bubbles for the kids Mm -hmm. and the parents see the kids laughing and they come and then they see me making Balloon animals. I talked about that, right? Yeah. Already? Yeah. Okay. They see me making the balloon animals, and I say, "Can I? do you have a room in your house? Yeah. The kids go stay with Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and I sleep in their cot or their bed or whatever. Right. Um, so the connection and brings... And there's a connection. ...brings what you need. Because exactly. Because if you connect and trust, then you are provided for, is what you I'm hearing. It. Yes. And then you can also give back in ways through that connection as well. Well, I mostly I learn... Mm-hmm. Mostly, they Mostly teach they me. I, they teach me their songs. They teach me their food. I chop onions in their kitchen. Right. I chop them wrong. The first time I ever they they were willing to let me cut an onion in Bali when I went to stay at this palace mm-hmm. or this royal family. Um, chopping an onion, I cut it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I cut it horizontally. Mm-hmm. And they cut them up and down mm-hmm. vertically. Mm-hmm. And everybody laughed because I didn't even know how to cut an onion. That's funny. It was absolutely brilliant. And the eight years that I spent, this was a royal family. Yeah. And it was absolutely beautiful. And the man who introduced himself and said, let me show you your room, yeah. was a prince. And he decided that, that his job from now on, his kids were grown up. And his job from now on was to educate me. <laughs> and it was it was wonderful. He educated me about Bali. Amazing. So so we're getting towards where we might need to wrap up. And so I want to make sure I ask you a few specific things because you have so many fascinating stories. And I'm actually excited that you've given me your book. And just again to remind people that you can get a lot of details of Rita's story out of the first book she wrote, Tales of a Female Nomad Living at Large in the World. You know, she has a lot of the destinations and the stories and all these insights that she's gained are in this book. But I do want to ask you, um, what would you, how would you start doing this kind of life today if you were a beginner? You've already gave us your tips. You've given us service. You've given us how to be in the world. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Like if, if, if you were talking to me, I'm the same age you were when you went off to Mexico. I'm 48. You told me you were 48 when that happened. Right. What would you tell me if I said, gosh, you know, I'm thinking of maybe hopefully in a few years living maybe a year somewhere. I'm not sure where. Well, you know, read a few books and see if there's some place that interests you, that intrigues you. Um, And you're going to be scared stiff because you've never done it before. Mm -hmm. But do it. (laughs) (laughs) Because no matter, well, I'm not going to go to Syria where we're... Okay, yeah. Or... or Afghanistan, sure. you know, there are places that you know are being bombed, some of them by us. Right. Um, but pick a place and just buy a ticket and go. Don't worry um, too much about the details. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, Servas is one way in, mm-hmm. but it's not necessary. If you just buy a ticket, and um, hostels are good places to, to go, and mm-hmm. you'll meet people who might want to travel. Right. But um, I try not to travel with other people. Mm-hmm. I find traveling alone makes me uh, more accessible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for people those- will talk to me that yeah. they might not. I talk to more people when I'm alone than when I'm with a, a a female friend or a male. You know, they're I'm I'm intimidating if I'm more than one. Right. But I'm not the least bit intimidating if I'm only one and I'm smiling and I say hello. Yeah. People want to know who I am and what I'm doing there and, and how long I'm going to stay. Yeah. And if they tell me that their kid can go live with grandma and I can move in, I do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So definitely you're inspiring me. Not only just, you know, I've interviewed people like you've done international pet sitting and that kind of thing, but I, I love, and that can lead to, that leads to a lot. It's a way yes. to do it. You know, you, you take a job and then whoops, you're in this community and then you right. just don't know. So that open-endedness, I think I'm really appreciating hearing about as someone who's pretty detail oriented and a planner. I love that sense of just be open, you know, say, okay, Maybe I'm saving a little money in advance. Maybe I'm planning in that respect. But let it unfold. Yeah. Take the leap and let it unfold. Yeah. And trust and connect. People want to talk to you. You, you yeah. don't look like them. Right. Um, after a while, you do. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And that's what I, I found, too. I get, I get people to take me to the market and I'll buy the local clothes. There you go. Um, but it's absolutely a... You know, in many places, I love Africa. Hmm. Um, and I, clearly, I'm not African. Right. Um, but I'm wearing their clothes, and I'm smiling a lot, and I'm talking to people I don't know. And I, I'm almost African. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I appreciate you sharing all of this today on the Globetrotter Lounge. And I, I want to also ask you, what does your life look like today? What's your next big adventure? Well, I'm 80. Right. Um, I'm not traveling by myself mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. I write about these two friends from France who I talk about in the book, Lars and Niren. Mm-hmm. And these guys are in their mid-50s. And I've traveled with them a lot. Right. One's a professional chef. And the other's a doctor. I can't think of a better team <laughs> That's a great combo. to travel with. <laughs> And they, they've just opened a B&B on, on Castle uh, that's a little bit close to the Loire River in France. Mm, and I'm, my next trip is, is I'm, I'm visiting them. I was at their wedding recently. They're, they're a gay couple. And it was absolutely beautiful. And, and it took place at their, at their castle. And um, write to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll give you. Or I'm going to do put talk about them in a blog. Great. And they're going to open. <clears throat> they're going to open this. It's already open. And I'm going to stay with them probably for the month of May. Um, we'll have to get their info and make sure I include that on this post. I, yes. So if people want to find out about their castle and and all of that. And actually. Do you want to, um, how can people get a hold of you? Do you have a blog? I do, do have, have a blog. An and email, or what I would you have, like to share? I have a list serve okay. that I contact with a couple of thousand people. Okay. And I send something out when I'm not too lazy to do it. 
Um, <laughs> What's your blog? Female Nomad at RitaGoldenGelman.com. Okay, great. And so, but I'm desperately in need of another entry. Okay, well, we <laughs> I'm, can... I'm very, very lazy. You know <laughs> what am I doing these days? Avoiding the things that I should. My head says I should be doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a blog. I don't know when I wrote it last. Sure. But in the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping to add something to it. So people send you an email. Email is the and, best way to get to me. And then you can they can get on your list that way, your yes. email list? Yes. Okay, if they send you a message. Okay, and I'll make I, sure. If they send me an email and ask to be on my list, sir, I will put them on. They have to accept the invitation. Okay, great. So, and I see here that you've got your email is femalenomad at gmail.com. Yes. And your website is ritagoldengelman.com. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) And um, thank you so much for having, uh, for taking the time. Thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with me today. I've learned a ton and I feel very inspired. Can I throw something else in? Sure. My passion right now is to create a country that has had that has people in it who have seen other cultures and i think the best time to do this is when you're out of high school mm-hmm. and i think that kids when they apply to college mm-hmm. should ask for a deferral and a lot of colleges are very happy to do it mm-hmm. and do a gap year yes and americangapyear.org okay is a place that they can go. We can use, we can put that in as well. Great. Um, but if they start in sixth grade, yeah, saving. Yeah. If they do little things, if they wash a car and, and do little things and put it into a gap account, by the time they're out of high school, they'll have enough money to get out of the country and observe and experience other people. And I have to say, The people who have done a gap year, there are statistics and there are studies. One, they usually finish college in four years, whereas most people these days take five and six years to Mm. finish college Mm -hmm. because they don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. And these kids do. Mm -hmm. They find out who they are when they're out in the world. Mm -hmm. The second thing is they have a higher GPA Hmm. than the ones they graduated from college with. And they're very desirable employees in international companies. So I want every kid in this country. I, if I had my way, I would empty, empty the whole country out and fill it up <laughs> with some foreigners and get everybody in this country to get out there and travel and experience the world. I have had as good a life as anybody I can imagine with joy and laughter and, and connecting. And I would like everybody to have that experience. What a wonderful vision. And I would love to see that as well. So thank you so much um, for spending time with me. My pleasure. And I really, like I said, I feel like I have a lot to think about, including sending my son off on a gap year. How old is he? 16 and a half. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Tell Um, him to call me. Okay. I'll have him call you. And actually, I myself went away in college, but still at 19 a year ideally before you go to college because college then you know who you are right that's right that experience in another culture yep 
And American Gap Year has um, all kinds of, of organized tours, trips for a year. Mm-hmm. And you don't, as a parent, you don't have to be afraid you're sending your kid out into the world. They have all kinds of trips you can do, they can do. Wonderful. And they come back and, and they're different. They're not the same ever again. They're wonderful. And if you have a teenager, my guess is you've got a teenager. That's right. And this, and send him out into the world. He'll come back and, and a whole different person. Wow. Thanks, Rita. You're literally probably changing some, some of the course of my life and my family's life. But really, truly, all your stories and all your experiences really have... Um, I don't know. They've not just made my day. I think they might have made my month or year. So thank you so much. (laughs) They made my life. So thank you for joining us today. And I really look forward to staying in touch. It was fun. And I hope we do stay in touch. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Globetrotter Lounge podcast. If you're interested in hearing other stories from women who have found creative ways to travel more for less, then I invite you to explore other Globetrotter Lounge podcast episodes at theglobetrotterlounge.com. And if you want a breakdown of the way that I've personally saved over $90,000 in travel costs, be sure to download a copy of the Globetrotter Roadmap to Free Travel. You can get it for free from roadmaptofreetravel.com. And if you're ready to dive even deeper into the world of travel hacking through credit card signup bonuses, you'll want to check out my online course, Jet Set 101, Becoming a Travel Hacker. It will teach you exactly how to start turning regular household spending into hundreds of thousands of airline miles and hotel points without damaging your credit score or going into debt. You can get more info at jetset101course.com. And if you just want to learn more about me, read my blog posts and get travel tips, subscribe to my email list, then go ahead and visit jetsetlizette.com. That's jetsetlizette.com. Thanks again for listening.